Take advantage of the Spectator US's special election offer. Go to spectator.us slash election offer and subscribe to get three months free access to the Spectator US website and our new app available on the Apple and Google Play stores. Make sure you're getting the very best coverage and commentary in the run-up to November 3rd. Find out more at spectator.us slash election offer. Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics, life and the Trump presidency. I am delighted to be joined today by Bridget Fettersey, who is a columnist, uh, a much-loved columnist for The Spectator's US edition, and also host of The Dumpster Fire on YouTube and a podcast called Walk-In's Welcome. Now, Bridget, you have an excellent, albeit quite gloomy, column this week about how you won't vote or you'll refuse to vote in this election because you say if Trump wins, America's going to burn. If he doesn't win, America's still going to burn. And it's fair to say you have a fairly pessimistic outlook on what's going to happen in America. And in fact, this is a column that sort of echoes another very good column you did a year ago, which was about the, as you call them, politically homeless in America and how you represent actually quite a large percentage of the American electorate who just don't feel that either side uh, suits them. They don't feel part of the red-blue binary and they feel increasingly depressed about what's going on in America. Tell us a little bit about what you're saying. I've always just felt like I'm the canary in the coal mine. Like if there's somebody like myself who feels like they came, they were always liberal most of my life, Consider my, voted Democrat my whole life, never even considered voting any other way. And if I feel I've been pushed out of the party into the center and I don't, I've never been able to really get on board with the right just because writing for Playboy, I was so consistently attacked by the the right for my, you know, feminist views or views about sexuality that were destroying America. So as much as I've been embraced by many on the right, I'm I'm very distrustful of them. I feel like it would be easy to weaponize somebody like me. And I've seen that happen with many people in this weird space that we're in where that's, that's exactly that's, what we're trying to do with you at spectator we're trying to we've been trying to weaponize but you're on to, you're onto us so we're... i don't i don't think everybody i think that the the right has been much more open to hearing my perspective which is and the left you know i i would think that places like CNN and MSNBC would be dying to hear from somebody like me about what I'm hearing from independents, being that that's pretty much my whole audience because I go after Trump as often as I as I feel like it. It's not like I censor myself in that respect or or when the when the right is behaving in ways that um, might be hypocritical. And so I can shed the uh, true cultists from my my following. So I feel like I've done a pretty good job of cultivating that truly kind of independent person or at least the person that can is not going to hear an idea that they hate and go, um, I can't listen to this person because I disagree with them. Um, 
And so if I, I, I hear from these people, they write me essays. I mean, I've, I've received probably just in my, I am politically homeless email address. I've received probably 200 emails in the past two days, just, and they're not like, Hey, I agree. It's long essays telling me their story of how they got to be politically homeless, whether it came from the right and it came from, or they came from the left. Over or they were just always independent. Overwhelmingly, what I'm hearing are from Democrats who have moved center or completely right, mm. which is interesting to me. But not that I'm not that surprised to hear that. And people get mad at me when I say this, and they say, "Well, the polls, blah blah blah." But there's no social cost for saying that you're gonna go from Trump to Biden. You'll be mostly celebrated for that. On the unless you're in a small red community, in which case they'll call you a libtard or an idiot, but you're not probably going to lose your business and you're not going to have a public shaming and be canceled and they're not going to drag up old tweets and call you a racist in the public square. Whereas if you were somebody who voted for Biden or say you wanted to vote for say you voted for Hillary and then you're saying you're going to vote for Trump, there's a much higher social cost in that respect, if you came out and said, I'm going to vote for Trump, something that, again, has been echoed in a lot of these emails that I'm hearing from people, which is that essentially this is I'm they're like, thank you so much for letting me vent. Thank you for it felt cathartic for me to even write this. I can't say this in my community. I can't say this publicly, which is why I don't trust the polls mm. and why I don't trust this perception that Biden's in this huge lead. There's absolutely no social costs for saying that you're going to vote for Biden. But do you think the social pressure against voting for Trump or the social pressure to vote for Biden is so strong, not only uh, that people say in the polls, but that people actually do it in the ballot? I mean, you know, people talk a lot about shy Trump voters, um, but I wonder if actually that that might be a bit of a figment of the right's imagination. Of the shy Trump voter? In the, the, the social pressure not to vote for Trump is so intense that people might not even do it in the ballot. No, because basically I, and there were three big takeaways from these emails, just themes that kept recurring over and over again. One is that, and I didn't even really consider this because they keep saying, well, we have to keep focusing on COVID because that hurts Trump. And what I'm hearing is that every time the left brings up COVID, it reminds all these people who weren't out protesting and who were just observing this all going on that the media, the media red pilled a huge portion of America and they don't even know it. Yeah. And this is something that we might not even see until the election because People lost their jobs. Kids couldn't go to school. They were locked up. They were told to lock, do all of this. They were told it was the right thing to do. And then the media celebrated all of these protests and the corporations all got on board. And that was the message you saw primarily. What you didn't see is what I'm seeing in my email, which is rage at that lie and that gaslighting. We, sh we, should, um, we should explain for our British listeners who might not know uh, what red pilling is. Red pilling is a sort of conservative. It's like the conservative equivalent of woke, isn't it? It's kind. Well, I mean, Michael Malice does the best job of defining it. And he says that it's actually mostly misinterpreted. The way that I understand it is that it's when you see behind 
the curtain and you realize that the mainstream media is pushing a narrative and that narrative is uh, it, it leans heavily towards the left. Yes. And so once you see that, it's hard to unsee. And a lot of this was I think they didn't realize how much that damage they did to their credibility, whatever credibility they might have had left when in particular, experts and epidemiologists were coming out and saying, oh, racism is the real virus, things like that, which are patent. It's it's and saying, oh, these are, you know, peaceful protests while they literally stood in front of burning buildings. Yeah. So it wasn't even, you know, it's one thing to lie. It's another thing to lie while there's something happening right in front of your eyes. It's it's not. It's not, it's like another level of gaslighting. Well, that's it. It's, it's, so it's gaslighting and red pilling. So it's, it's making people feel mad. Right. And then, and then they're so mad, they go from crazy mad to angry mad. And that. Well, and they, that seems to be the thing. I don't see how, and I think you had an article that Stephen Miller did this morning that I haven't had a chance to read yet, but I saw the headline about how that basically this is 2016 all over again. I don't see how the left learned anything from 2016. And I've been screaming at them for five years now. So, and in fact, I, I think that they've mostly gone the opposite direction. Instead of learning from their mistakes, they've doubled down on calling everybody. I can't believe how many people they've alienated who would actually be allies. It's mind blowing to me. I had, a, I had an interview with a trans a trans man, Buck Angel, the other day, who has been fighting. He's in, he's in, um, he's one of the first who got a mastectomy. He's been fighting in the LGBTQ community for as long as he's been around and they've turned on him and he's alienated from this party, which is crazy to me. This is somebody that should be without even a question voting democrat and he's considering himself politically homeless because he's been attacked by the far left basically for being a transphobe even though he's a trans she's a trans he's a trans man so well you you start to wonder if at some complicated freudian or something level uh, there's a sort of self-destructiveness and a desire on the left to lose. I mean, they're really good at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're doing all the things um, that would, I mean, particularly look at the Democrats. I mean, it's taken this long for Biden and Harris to denounce, uh, you know, actual chaos on the streets. And if there's one thing that voters are going to be uh, swayed by, it's chaos on the streets. And if, if the two leading people on a ticket can't bring themselves or have to be really pushed to bring themselves to denounce it, then you wonder if there's something more complicated going on and some sort of deep desire to annihilate themselves. I don't, I don't know what it is because I, I think two people have woken up, just normal people who are considered themselves Democrats or liberals, you know, you see, for example, Rand Paul getting mobbed, leaving the RNC, those videos. Yeah. And can you imagine if that was right wing folks mobbing people leaving the DNC? 
what that news coverage would look like. We would, it would be wall to wall. And that barely got any coverage. It didn't get any coverage by the mainstream media. The mainstream media acts like there's no internet. It's like, and they only hurt themselves the more that they do that because the more that people are online and people were pushed online in COVID in ways that they weren't before, because when everybody suddenly was working from a home, I think they just innately started spending more time online, obviously. And the more that people are seeing views from the other side, even if they don't agree with it, 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 you can't be, you, you can either, and when faced with cognitive dissonance, you either double down and continue lying to yourself, or you accept that maybe the, reality that you thought was true is not the whole picture. And that was the thing with the left that I've seen is that they just could not accept that he won. They have spent four years in cognitive dissonance that that cognitive dissonance was so strong. And instead of accepting that, and you saw these essays right when they came out, when after the election, like, oh, we're in a bubble and we missed this and blah, blah, blah. But then it seems like that was, you know, maybe one month of self-reflection and then reinforced the bubble, proceeded to kick out even more people who might be pushing back against the left. The other thing that I was going to say that I noticed in these emails that I don't think people are recognizing and understanding. As the political everything has um kicked into every aspect of American life in particular in the past five years. They, I think one of the things we'll see at the ballot that we we're not really considering is the effect of what I call micro cancellations. And they're these little cancellations that are occurring all over America in families and friend groups and over politics primarily because somebody who is like completely far left and intolerant in their in their ability to hear anybody who might be voting for Trump or even independent um it's causing these rifts in families and people i i know that for me even being kind of rejected by the, my peer group and my party i always have to check myself and say am I reacting because I'm feeling rejected? That's a very strong um, emotional drive, I think, in humans is the reaction to rejection. Most of us are still playing out our, you know, junior high and high school feelings of rejection on like an adult level forever. So I don't think that we can really underestimate how much people are hurting from these rifts in their family and friend groups or being shamed in a mommy group or being left a letter by their neighbor because they put a Trump sign out or feeling all of these little things have been occurring on tiny, tiny levels that we never hear about, which is why when I hear people saying cancel culture isn't real and um, I laugh because it people have been canceled from their own families for, for expressing their honest beliefs. And so there's a big like F 
F this, I'm voting for Trump vibe that I was I was actually surprised to see how and the stories are people who have never voted Republican. I think micro cancellations is an excellent uh, term. You've used it before. Have you? you I, haven't heard, I haven't heard it. I think so. I mean, I, I've talked about it before, but I, I, I've never written about it. I've always I just when you talk about the psychological stuff, I think on the left, what I see the most is the desire to kind of soothe that cognitive dissonance it's just that so if you just keep doubling down and doubling down and oh you're oh you're racist you're a bigot you're racist you're a bigot and they have the critical theory underpinning they have the ideology to back up that cognitive dissonance now where any anything trump reinforced their idea that america is racist so Trump being reelected will only reinforce the idea that America is a deeply racist country yeah. with foundationally racist roots. And it is a self-reinforcing ideology. Any anytime I say you can't try and defend yourself against an accusation of racism because that in and of itself is proof that you're racist. So that how do you how can anyone fight that you know it's a, it shuts down conversation instantly racism transpho bigot anytime you you say oh well you just believe that because you're racist the conversation ends there's no conversation i think you should write about micro cancellations for for the spectator i i just i think it's a it's something that I've been observing for years and just because my inbox has been a bit of a confessional for people who feel politically homeless. I hear so many. I mean, I was crying the other night reading these emails because some of them are so moving and also disturbing in the way that people have been silenced and cut out of their families and there was one man who wrote me an email and his girlfriend's um, parents are 90 and 90 and 93. And the girlfriend's brother got into a huge fight and was screaming at his 90 and 93 year old parents because they watch Fox News and they are Trump supporters. But he's you know, he said, my girlfriend's parents never put they love their kids no matter what they believe. They never put their force their opinion on them they never and his he went there i mean imagine that you're yelling at your 90 year old parents thinking a that they're going to change their mind and b these loving people who raised you are somehow evil because of their it's it's just it, people have lost their minds it's really unsettling well in in britain we had we've had something similar with brexit and and certainly a lot of families torn apart by that um, but I wonder, you know, I mean, in Britain, we don't have as many guns. And right. you see over the last week, kind of quite a, quite a lot of um, killings. I mean, yeah. in, in Kenosha and in Portland. Um, and it seems to be white people killing white people about yeah. Black Lives Matter, which is very yeah. strange. Uh, I, it's almost like a proxy war, <laughs> you know, I feel like it's like, it's like the B BLM has become like the Syria of, <laughs> of like this war that's going on between the left and the right, the extreme left and the right. And people, I said this the other day on a podcast, Thaddeus Russell, somebody said, 
well, aren't you afraid that the right is going to partake in all this anarchy and rioting and looting? And I said, no, I'm more afraid that the right's going to start fighting back because from my perspective, knowing how many guns there are in America, it's people have been pretty well restrained. <laughs> like I actually think I, I, I think people have been pretty, um, there's been an enormous amount of self-restraint on, on the, on the right in particular, because they are just kind of quietly watching this all unfold. But once you start burning down businesses and saying, and the police aren't there and who's, what, what do you expect to happen in this situation when people feel like no one is coming? You know, that's a dangerous feeling. And I don't think the right does themselves any favors when they partake in it. Even the other day when, with their little parade of flags and, and driving through Portland and that in and of itself is instigating. And it's also just, it makes them, it, again, it, I hear from like independent voters, that kind of stuff turns them off. You know, they might be like, oh, I'm going to vote for Trump. And then they'll see that and they're like, never mind. I thought it was funny they called it a caravan because the last time I heard the word caravan was when Trump was talking about a, a caravan of illegal oh. immigrants going. <laughs> this is when I feel like I'm living in a simulation because what happened to that caravan? Well, I don't know. <laughs> they like evaporated into the They turned the, into, into Trumpers the and they went to Portland. It's just so weird. It's like this. I it literally just evaporated into the Matrix. Like what happened to that caravan? I still want to know, are they still, that's what's so, and I think, again, this is the kind of stuff that people are seeing more and more of where, where they're like on both sides, where anyone who's feeling politically homeless, it's tough to not feel insane. You know, you feel like you're living in two versions of America simultaneously, if you are not just devoted to one ideology or or the other or MAGA, I guess, because it seems like the ideology on the left is is very headless. It's nebulous and it floats. You know, that's why they cancel each other, because you're not really there's no real leader. And on the right, it's all cult of personality. And, and then again, too, I laugh when when people are like, oh, the cult of personality on the right, I'm like, you guys literally cry and say we want Obama and Michelle back, come back, mom and dad, which is A, creepy, and B, can you get more cult of personality? Do they, but, do they say mom and dad? I've missed that. Yeah, they say come home, mom and dad. It's crazy. <laughs> people want to be led. That's If I've learned anything in the last five years, it's that humans really just need to be, they have a desire to be told what to do. Well, one, one thing people are talking about a lot is what happens in November if Trump loses. Let's say he loses narrowly. And there's a lot of sort of speculation about how he, how he'll, you know, it'll be like a military coup. He will, he will refuse to leave the White House and all this stuff. But again, that to me sounds like projection because in fact, what's going to happen is if Trump wins narrowly, the left are not going to accept the result in any way at all. Mm -hmm. Well, that's that has been, 
you I see this again too. Both sides are partaking in this kind of preemptive delegitimate delegitimizing of the results of the election already. And the thing that bothers me about all of that, and also just the attempts to kind of undermine the results of 2016 preemptively on the left and the entire past four years, basically, um, you can't subvert democracy. People always say this to me. Well, what's what's going to happen when what if Trump doesn't leave when he loses? I'm like, I have to believe that he will leave when he loses, because if I don't believe that and, and if he doesn't, that's, you know, Secret Services will escort him off the premise premises. <laughs> like if, if I don't believe that democracy is already done, you can't you can't subvert democracy in order to preserve democracy. And that's what I keep seeing on the on the left in particular is this kind of like, well, we need to make sure that Donald Trump doesn't get elected again because he won't leave office. So we're going to like <laughs> that seems crazy to me. Call. I mean, maybe maybe that. And then, you know, I've said to people like, what if we're wrong? What if what if I'm wrong? What if like what if this is just the because ever the big thing on the left is like this is the we're the frog in the boiling water of auto- an autocracy, essentially. Well, sometimes I feel like they they may have a point, but I also feel it's a kind of fantasy about, you know, it's it's like your Saddam Hussein fantasy in America. It's like it's like they want to pull him out of the White House, like Saddam was pulled out of his spider hole, and and so they can feel that like America's kicking ass in some way. Yeah, it's, it's kicking its own ass. Um, <laughs> it's so it's it's on. On some days, I'm deeply disturbed and terrified. And then other days, I really can't. I have to laugh just because so much of it I do blame on social media. It just seems like it's so predictable. I can go online and see exactly what I know what the takes will be left, right and center. Generally, center is a little bit more. uh, I think I feel intellectually honest (laughs) at least I feel like there's the people in the center right and center left and you know reason's really good at at calling balls and strikes um there and even like spectator I feel like presents a very diverse array of of opinions that you'll hear and but for the most part the big outlets you know where everyone's gonna stand and I can't I used to think I saw something the other day and it said it was a headline that was um, it was a headline. Oh, I have it right here, actually, because, you know, I I hear this all the time, like the media is the enemy of the people. And I'm kind of like, okay, calm down. That's hyperbolic. And then I'll see headlines, headlines like this. And I'm like, no, no, the media is the enemy of the people. I have 100 percent. That's actually true. I've been so blind. (laughs) How did I not see this? where is it? The per- it says a person was shot and killed in downtown Portland Saturday night after an, ev- an an evening of violent clashes between Trump supporters and protesters denouncing police brutality. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, they're the enemy of the people. I saw someone else. I can't remember who it was putting riots in quote marks. In quotes? 
with a scare quotes with a, with a picture, and he'd used a picture of several huge buildings in on fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's I I just that's the stuff where I can't help but lay a lot of this at the feet of the media, and particularly mainstream media. I I am amazed at how quickly they went from the riots aren't riots to the riots are Trump's fault. <laughs> like that that happened in like one day. I was like, what happened to the riots aren't real? <laughs> like, and now they're Trump's fault. But I think they and a bit of Russia creeping in. Uh, you know, Schiff is saying that it's Russia causing the riots by. Uh, I suppose generating antagonism on social media, which is possible. Yeah, I think that the. I mean, I've been kind of commenting on this for. I did a whole thread a couple of years ago about, and it was uh, all using West Side Story gifts, and it was between Antifa and the Proud Boys, and I was like, the Proud Boys are like, and then I, and it was just me talking about how these are, you know, like LARPers essentially playing these live action role players playing out their kind of fantasy civil war. And now I see that accelerating. And like you said, there's, there are a lot of guns in America and that's what is terrifying to me. And there's a lot of States where you can carry them openly if you, if you legally are allowed to. So, well, that's like, I mean, the, the the kid in in Kenosha, the seventeen year old boy, he was he was larping essentially. He was he was fantasizing about being a kind of cop. You know, he told an interviewer beforehand, "I'm just here to make, keep people safe," and he also had a medi pack with him so he could help people if he needed to. But then he winds up shooting someone in the head. So right. I mean, there's that you sort of you know, larping becomes real. Right, because I don't think, you know, you play video games and you play and you play um, you have these online battles. And I don't think people really understand the real world implications of that kind of violence. And when you're in a mob, how scary and terrifying that can be. And this is also why I hate the silence is violence. I'm like, no, violence is violence, as we're seeing. And I've never liked silence as violence because or speech as violence because it gives people reason to be violent in the face of speech or silence now even. <laughs> like it's I getting to a stage where the there. only thing the only thing that isn't violence is violence. violence. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's not violence. No, no, absolutely That's not. That's protesting. <laughs> Um, it's so great. It's, you know, we do live. And then I've been rereading like Brave New World in 1984. And wow, Orwell just I don't even know how that guy could see all of this coming. And meanwhile, I'm more worried about big tech. And, the you know, I feel like they would like nothing more than to have all the people killing each other in the streets and not paying attention to what kind of power they're grabbing. Because I, my whole thing is like, we're all going to be living in little tech archipelagos soon. You know, you're going to be in, you're going to be in Google and I'm going to be in Apple <laughs> and, and we're going to, they're all going to have their own private armies and someone might live in Amazon and. Well, you could have a good friend, but, but they'd move to Amazon and, and then you just wouldn't be able to see <laughs> Yeah, forget it. Yeah. I just don't, I'm not sure what. 
I'm fascinated by all of it. You know, I, I, I spent all weekend reading these emails and one that was the most upsetting came from somebody in Brazil and I'll probably get emotional even talking about it again, just ta- saying that um, they felt politically homeless down in Brazil and they have multiple parties and it's all corrupt and they never see any way out of the corruption because it's really just being corrupt to grab power and seeing what's happening in the United States. Um, is they said that, you know, they always saw America as a place where they could go and maybe make a new life and seeing what's happening leaves them feeling hopeless because they feel like if it's happening there, like here, how, what hope does anywhere else have? And I can't, we cannot underestimate the effect that that has all over the world. Just viewing this from the outside and seeing what's going on in America. It's something I did not even consider was people who look to America as like, well, maybe someday I can get there and start a new life. And there is this opportunity and it has been a beacon of hope and it has been a beacon of really opportunity and possibility. And if you're seeing similar things in your developing world country in America happening, um, how hopeless that can leave people feeling in their own countries. And that was moving to me because we're so American centric. It's just, you know, our news is all American. We never think of how this might be perceived by anyone outside of ourselves or America. And the news is all American centric and it's, it's all about the culture war. There's not, I'm like, there's other countries in the world. (laughs) If you, if you watched, if you were an alien that landed here and only watched American news, you would, it it is exactly like team America where it's like Egypt, you know, seven, 5,000 miles away from America. Well, I suppose, I mean, as a, as a foreigner to America myself, I suppose, you know, I think the most fair minded people in, in developed in developed world outside America, worry that they'll have to turn to China. That you know China will, and that will miss America, because you know as far as um, superpowers go, you've probably been the best of all time. I mean, yeah, that's also terrifying because that is the last country I would want to turn to. And if I was, I, I've I've talked about this a lot and podcasts and just on my show about this recurring dream I've had for years where I wake up I and I'm in New York City and there's all this, you know, steam rising up from the man covers and then I'm like, they're gassing us. And then everybody like <laughs> we all get um, it's it's basically like. Uh, it's um, what is it when you're when you're just you, you're alert, but you're just like paralyzed, basically. So yeah, I could still see everything. And I'm like, and I see these Chinese boots. And my cousin Maggie is always like, how do you know they're Chinese boots? I'm like, I don't know. My dream. I just knew they were Chinese. <laughs> and I see all these boots. And it was the Chinese occupying America. And yeah. then I had they to say made in the- China. In them. That's how you yeah, they say made in China. <laughs> And they, we had to run through the woods to like, it was, it's this whole dream that I've had multiple times. So every time like the China stuff comes up, I'm like, they're coming for us. (laughs) Uh, Well, I, I, at the conclusion of your piece, you say, uh, I have to care enough not to care. America needs to hit rock bottom 
so that we can look around and realise we have no one to blame but ourselves. I mean, that's, that's undeniably true, isn't it? But, but why, why do you think uh, Americans have done this to themselves? I feel like this is my theory. I'm working on it. It feels like... So I knew a lot of trust fund kids growing up because I was always the girl waiting on them and partying with them. And so I knew tons of trust fund kids and they were just disasters because I think when you, when you don't have that hero's journey to kind of overcome, you have to almost self-destruct in order to create that, that opportunity for yourself. I feel like America is like a trust fund baby. That's, gotten addicted to drugs (laughs) and is self-destructing because we have too much. I mean, even the gender stuff, I think about this all the time. We are having real conversations, real ones, people taking each other seriously about whether girls and boys are different. (laughs) If that's not a thought experiment of the most privileged people ever to walk the face of the earth, just an exercise in looking for something to get upset and mad about I and build entire economies around, I'm not sure what is. And I know that I get torched for even suggesting that, but that to me is such a clear example of how much privilege we have in America that thousands of dollars and hours of writing and ink have been spilled on... <laughs> Are girls and boys different? <laughs> it's a clown world. So it's yes. a clown, and we're spoiled. We're spoiled rotten, is what you're saying. Spoiled, so spoiled, and I do think that there are obviously things that need work. We uh, there's always ways we can make ourselves better, but I don't believe that you need to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I'm not, you know, I I was I was asking actually Ben Shapiro, how I said, how do we find our way through this? If both sides believe that they're righteous in their violence in particular, that's essentially tribalism and society starts breaking down, which we're seeing. So how do you find your way out? And he was saying, you have to agree. You have to find the premises you agree on. One, all political violence is bad. And two, um, the constitution is something worth defending and upholding and you start from there. But I was like, yeah, but I'm not sure the left really agrees with that. <laughs> you know, I'm not. And I think this is why I'm hearing in my, in my um, emails over and over again. And this was something that just stuck with me is that people feel like they don't have a choice, but to vote for Trump. Because they feel like at least the damage Trump does is limited and they know what they're getting. The erosion to the foundations of what America was built upon, the Constitution, free speech, um, these rights that we have taken for granted because we're so spoiled by them. uh, That's much more insidious. And those are long term. Those are long term consequences that we don't even really know the results of. So I feel like people feel like if it comes down between voting for the left has done itself no favors because they're basically the party that hates America and they can say whatever they want with Joe Biden. People are seeing what they actually believe on the streets 
because it's not being condemned by the local governors or the people aren't dumb. So whether people want to, if they say, oh, we condemn this, but you don't actually condemn it. It's been going on for three months in some cities. And I watched LA get torched and there was very little response to it at all. And, and even outrage because people feel guilty for even being outraged because they're afraid they're going to be called racist for condemning looting. Well, what were people in LA saying? Because I mean, that, that strikes me as a, as a hyper-democratic city. Uh, what, would, what would people you know saying about the rioting and the looting? Were they recanting the sort of mantras of BLM or were they saying this is absurd? It depends. You know, quietly people were saying to me, this is absurd. Publicly, most of my friends in comedy and entertainment were saying, well, America's been getting looted for blah, you know, like these corporations have been getting looted. My the woman who um, cleans my house was very upset because it was in her neighborhood. And she and I had a very controversial interview on my podcast with uh, guy coach T who is, who says black lives matter is a white cult. And so, and he was saying there were no black men out in the streets. And I was like, ah, oh, that might be just like, you know, him saying this. And he, he was more like, there are no, he basically said there are no heterosexual black men out on the streets. And I was like, there are black men out on the streets. He's like, yeah, they're all in entertainment or they're gay or they're, <laughs> like he had this whole list, which was again, controversial, but he's just a dude. He and then I was looking at the percentages and it's like the number I was like, oh, Coach T might have been right. <laughs> it's like two percent of black men were out at night wow. in the protests based on the creepy cell phone data that they get that nobody talks about. Uh, well, you'll like this with it as a, our Coburn has uh, written to the public. You know, there's this book in defense of looting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Coburn has written to um, the publishers of In Defense of Looting, saying we've pirated a copy of In Defense of Looting and we're going to publish it on the internet. I assume you're fine with that. So we're waiting on the reply from the publisher. But we, That's hilarious. We hope we'll be given the, a green light. Yeah, I've, I mean, I've heard a lot of... I was joking with Coach T. I was saying, you know, if I was you, I would just be going door to door and anyone who has the BLM sign and saying, give me your house. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> like why why don't you knock on all of these doors and say oh you believe black lives matter will you give me your house <laughs> <laughs> because that could be your reparations and and you know there's california's it's funny so what i see and what is true in california and this is a very small example of this so I went and got physical therapy from my guy who treats all kinds of rich people on the West side. And he is married to an Italian woman. So they were talking to family members and a woman of their good friends was in Northern Italy working in hospitals. And she said, we're seeing good effects with Zithromax and hydrochloroquine. So he went, and this was after right around that same time, Trump came out in support of it. And so he went to try and go get some, and he's like, these mother effers are out there saying that they 
Trump is an idiot for promoting this and you couldn't buy it anywhere on the West side. He's like, it was all gone. He's like, they're all saying that this guy is an idiot and they all bought a dose for themselves. And that to me is where you see the, um, where I don't really know it's actually true. That, that is the perfect encapsulation of elite <laughs> thinking. Uh, Bridget, we better end it there, but thank you so much for coming on to Americana. I hope you will come on again. And yeah. please keep the brilliant articles coming into the spectator.